would like to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Our passage is the end of the chapter, verses 19 to 30. And uh, what uh, we do on our, particularly Sunday mornings, is we take a book of the Bible most of the time and simply work through it passage by passage. And now part of the reason we do that is because we believe that all of the Bible is inspired. That is, it's, it's God's words that, that He gave through the apostles. In this case, the Apostle Paul. And so what we're reading is really no different than if God were to speak from heaven, if the voice were to boom from the clouds. That's what you're hearing when we read the Bible. And so to go passage by passage and hear everything that He has to say. And uh, part of the reason we do that process passage by passage is so that those passages that might be overlooked because uh, if I were just picking my favorites, you would get the ones that that uh, had addressed my life and perhaps never get to some of the things that need to, to touch on yours. And there would be passages that I just simply would never choose. This is one of them. And that is because when you read it, it sounds a little bit like uh, an itinerary. And probably you wouldn't preach from an itinerary. It describes uh, Paul's interest in traveling to, to the church in Philippi. He talks about two of his colleagues he wants to send to them. And upon reading it the first time, I thought, I'm not sure what we're supposed to get out of this. But as you spend a little time with it, you, there are a few things that begin to emerge. And particularly, you're getting at a, a part of the way that the New Testament church, and really the way that God ministers to his people, uh, to hear how he intends to cause us to grow in Christ Jesus and our love for him and our experience of him and that it's always going to happen together. That, that this passage really is in some ways a description of how God wants the church to work. And so that is much more interesting than an itinerary. Before we read, uh, let's pray that God would bless the time we spend in his word. Father in heaven, we approach your word today with the knowledge that it's your voice we want to hear. That we want Jesus to meet with us through your word. That our deepest desire is to encounter him through the scriptures and to be transformed because of them. We want to see your ways so that we can walk in them. We want to know Jesus and be made like him. And the scriptures are your chief way to do that. And so would you cause the words we're about to read to resonate with our hearts? Would you help us to humbly receive them and to enact that which we read and to live in faith because of how you have fed and nourished us from your word? We pray for this because Christ is worthy and we desire him. And we pray in his name. Amen. From Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 19, this is God's word. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. 
I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor uh, such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is God's word. It's completely true and it's utterly trustworthy. I know that you have days where you look back and say, that was really a significant moment in my life, sort of maybe a turning point. And those days could come from any direction, a place where uh, something fairly significant changed in the way that you would think or the way that you would act. I remember a number of those days, but one that I want to tell you about today was when uh, my mother uh, said to me, listen, your father is a very good man, but I want you to imitate his best qualities. That's all she said. And I knew what that meant was I was imitating some of my dad's maybe less than best qualities. Now, my dad was a good man and lots of things to imitate, but he was also a man. And therefore, he had some things that perhaps uh, weren't ideal. I, he uh, passed away uh, about uh, seven or eight months before I moved here. And so I, I wish you could have known him. Uh, if you had seen him, you would be able to say, well, that's what Scott's going to look like in, you know, 25 years. Uh, in, in, in a lot of ways, act like and be like. I had, had sort of taken everything from him. And it was sort of revolutionary to me when my mom suggested you need to think critically about your heroes. Well, you need to say good stuff to imitate, but not everything. And and that was a pretty good insight. And I think it's a good insight for us, too. Now, let me give a real practical application of what that would mean. Uh, My children will grow up in our house and they will see our marriage mine and Karen's more than anyone else's and and I hope there's plenty of things for them to say yeah that's good and they want to draw from it but I also want them to have something bigger than that one so that they don't just imitate our strengths and our weaknesses and so my children need to see other marriages they need to see other people's homes they need to see life in a different way and you do too You need people to model what it looks like to follow Jesus so that you can see it lived out and then take that which you can imitate and follow it. Paul is sending to this church some people that he wants them to be able to imitate. And he highlights those qualities about them. And and lying behind this itinerary of who's traveling to Philippi are really some pretty profound thoughts about how life and sanctification and growing in the knowledge of Jesus really works in us. And the first thing that you can see Paul assumes is that your theology ought to 
produce practice. That, that theology and doctrine, the things you learn from the Bible, are not just to have knowledge, to be able to articulate and say and, and, and agree with, but they should always, all of your doctrines, all that you believe from the Bible, should produce words and actions, practice, that fulfills those doctrines. But let me try to show you a little bit of that. He talks about Timothy first. And uh, he says, verse 20, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, that's a pretty noble thing. I've got, I've got plenty of colleagues in ministry, people who are active with me and support with me. But Timothy surpasses them all in that he's going to be concerned about your welfare even over his own. That's sort of the thing that Paul was saying. Now, if you can, just flip back to verse 3, right? In verse chapter 2, verse 3, he says to the Philippians, Do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look each of you, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So he's just said, listen, I want you, Philippians, to look out for the interest of each other, not yourself. And, and that's the way that Christ lived. That's the section that follows immediately that Christ looked out for your interest, not his own. And now there's Timothy and he looks out for your interest, not his own. So I taught you some theology, some doctrine you're supposed to believe, the life that you're supposed to live. And I want you to see Timothy living it out. Or it says that uh, in verse 22... You know Timothy's proven worth, how a son, uh, as, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. That word serve really is the word for a slave. He's been like a slave with me in the gospel. But if you were to jump back to verse 7, when it talks about Jesus, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant or literally a slave. So I've got this theology, this rich doctrine about what I believe about Jesus. That people have, have written books and books and books. Perhaps more ink has been spilled over the passage from verse 5 to verse 11 than maybe any passage in the New Testament. It's certainly competing with all of the rich ones that get lots of attention from scholars. It's full of deep theology. And now Paul is saying, you've heard the theology, you've heard the doctrine, you've heard the teaching. This is stuff you're supposed to believe. But it should show up in your life. Timothy puts others' interests ahead of his own. In practice, you're going to see it when he's among you. Timothy is a slave for the sake of the gospel the way Jesus was a slave. His theology worked itself out into practice. That was true for Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was a, a person that, that Paul says is my brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier. He's with me in all of this. But look what it says happened to him. Uh, Epaphroditus, the reason he was uh, traveling to Paul was he was a uh, part of the church in Philippi. And they had sent him, it says as your messenger and minister to my need. That is, Epaphroditus 
carried with him a message or a letter from the Philippian church and money. That was meant to go and to help Paul's ministry. And so he was the one who carried that, that ministry of the Philippian church to Paul. And it says on the way, verse 27, or sorry, verse 26, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And indeed he was ill, near to death. What happened is that while Epaphroditus was on his way to Paul, he became so very sick that they thought he might die. And the Philippian church heard about it and they became really disturbed that they could lose this man that they loved. When Epaphroditus heard about their distress, he became distressed for their sakes. I don't want them to be distressed. Now, I want you to see what's really happening. That's a, a lot of uh, stuff. What really is all this is, he said, when the Philippian church felt pain, whatever the cause, Epaphroditus from a long ways away felt it with them. He had the same thoughts as they had. He felt their pain with them. Now, flip back to verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Epaphroditus was a, a picture of what Paul had said Here's the kind of rich doctrine and theology and the beauty of living out in Christ. And now he's saying, look at Epaphroditus. He does this. He has the same mind with you. He feels your pain with you. Now, just so that you know, Timothy has the same thing. If you look at verse 20, it's a little bit hidden in the translation. He says, I have no one like him in verse 20 about Timothy. Here's a, a, another translation. This is a book from a guy named Young. He produced a real literal translation. If you tried to read it, it it's really challenging because he's so strictly just word for word. And here's how he translates verse 20. For I have no one like-minded who sincerely for the things concerning you will care. Sounds like Yoda uh, with the way the, the verbs work. But he, did you hear that? I have no one like-minded. No one who's like-minded with me like Timothy is. No one who's like-minded with you like Timothy is. They have the same mind. The very thing that he had called the Philippians to do. And then, one last thing to see. Indeed, he was ill, verse 27, near to death. If you were to jump back to verse 8. You see that Jesus, being found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And again, it's a little bit obscured by the translation, but it actually says the exact same words. If we were to translate more literally what it says in about Epaphroditus, it says, indeed, he was ill to the point of death. Exactly the same words that were applied to Jesus in his service to the church and his obedience to his commission to bring resources to me and ministry to me. He risked his life. He came right up to the edge of death in order to obey. Just like Jesus. The picture that Paul has in mind is that as you rehearse this theology this doctrine, this teaching about Jesus and, and, and stuff we believe about the Bible, it's meant to work itself out through your heart 
through your mind into your voice so that it affects what you say. It's supposed to go through your mind, through your heart, and out your hands and your feet so that the, the doctrine begins to be lived out in your bodies. It's not enough for your theology to be accurate, to be able to articulate it well. It must be practiced always. All theology always leads to practice when it's healthy. Here's an example drawn somewhat from Philippians. There is a, a part of us that really wants to promote ourselves, right? A part of us that says, I want to I want to put my best foot forward. I want to let people think about me and go, yeah, he's a great guy. And so I like to to promote the things that I'm doing well and put those on display and kind of cover up and hide the things that I don't. And I'm, I'm promoting myself in doing that. But if I'm really listening to, to what Paul had said about Jesus, he didn't hold the things of his great honor to be grasped and held on to, but he emptied himself of those things, humbled himself, and God exalts him. Now, if my theology really is let go of the things you can get by yourself and trust God to exalt you, how would that come out? Wouldn't it come out that I could be honest about who I am? Wouldn't it come out that I could even boast in the places of weakness because I know that God is the one who lifts me up? Wouldn't this idea of self-promotion be something that would be horrifying if my doctrine is starting to work itself out in my life? When you do things for others or for the church, when you're going out of your way, do you need to be noticed? Or is it enough just to know that your Father in Heaven sees and He exalts you? How about this? Does your faith about eternal life affect the way you live right now? Does, does eternity shape the way you value things? I, I tend to place a pretty high value on possessions and wealth. But if eternity is real then those things are all destined to pass away. You understand that it would shape my values if I believe the doctrine. The Bible teaches us that every person you ever come into contact with, every single person with whom you have contact, is a person who's made in the image of God. And therefore they deserve honor and respect and dignity. Do you find plenty of people that you can look down upon and that in, if we were to really be honest with how we think, we think they're kind of worthless because they don't contribute, because uh, they do evil things. Does your doctrine produce the way you think? Does your doctrine lead you to the way you treat people? Does the, the person who's ringing your stuff up at Walmart, do you treat them with respect and dignity? Because they're made in God's image. And we could do this with every doctrine. We could be here for a long time. But my point, and I think Paul's point, is that theology, your doctrine, what you believe, should always work itself out into your practice. That's why he sends them Epaphroditus and Timothy. And then he's pointing out that the way that we actually learn, the way we actually grow in the gospel, is by 
examples, by following, by catching from those who've gone before us. Timothy and Epaphroditus were to give tangible expression to what Paul was teaching them. This really is the way that we learn. This is significant because here's what it means. You cannot be faithful as a Christian and independent of other Christians. It cannot be done. This is why we gather in churches. This is why we gather together. Christian faith is always, always, always worked out together. This is bringing me back to that first point. Before the sermon really even started, this is why children need to see not just their parents' marriages, but to see others. They need to be able to see what it's like for different people to work out what it means to follow Jesus. We need to see how other people spend their money. We need to see how other people work out praying and work out following Jesus. Uh, I have a, a friend who's a minister who is uh, a guy who would be very happy uh, just being in a, a library, reading books and, and writing some good things. And uh, if he ever had to go out in public, it would be uh, to, to play a guitar and, and be on a stage and then not have to actually interact with people. Uh, but he's a, he's a pastor and not interacting with people is difficult for, uh, to, to do the job well. And so he says, I'm an introvert, but for the sake of the kingdom of God, I have to be an extrovert, at least at times. And so his idea is this. I need to be able to be around some people who are extroverts so I can learn from them how to interact with people better than comes naturally to me. But he also knows that some of those extroverts need to look at him and say, how do I learn to, to think and reflect and meditate in quiet? Because that doesn't come natural to me. We need each other. And, and if you watch, Paul's really saying ministry is always done together. You never see Paul going out by himself. He's always got Timothy or Paphroditus or John Mark or Barnabas. He's always got these people with him and ministry is done together. Now, let me talk about what that really means. That means that guys like me cannot think, I'm here to do the ministry. I'm here to be the one who does the ministry and, and you know, y'all get to receive from me. But you can't think, let's let him do it. That we do this work of ministry to each other and to our community together. That it's a partnership that we share that God has called you into and to participate with. And, and, and like Paul, we have to champion each other. Look at how he speaks about his partners. Timothy, there's no one like him. He really will care about your interest. And, and, and Epaphroditus, his affection is for you so serious and I love them. I, I can't even bear to part with Timothy right now. And Epaphroditus, I'm only parting with him because... I know he needs to come back to you, but I got to tell you, I think the reason God spared his life is because I would have been so sad that I couldn't have taken it. God spared me that sorrow upon sorrow of losing him. And of course, if his picture for Philippian church is that they would be one heart bonded together, putting each other's concerns above his own. Look at what he does with these men. Look at how they treat each other. Timothy is devoted to Paul. 
Epaphroditus has his heart set on others. Paul has a great affection for them. He's saying, this is what the church should look like. And I want to send these guys to you and I want to come so that you'll see it. Now, here's the thing. I need you. I need you to, to, to show this Christ-likeness in your life. It's the way God intended for me to grow in Jesus. You each need the people sitting around you to work out your salvation because we work it out together. When I was in seminary, uh, one of my first classes was a covenant theology class. And at the end of the semester, uh, the professor said, here's how we're going to do this. You're going to get in teams of three and prepare for the exam. When you come into class, you're you're each going to draw one strip of paper out of a hat or a bowl or whatever it was. And and, and you're going to get together, the three of you, talk about those questions, pick which one you want to answer. Then you're each going to answer the question in turn. One answers a question, the other answers the other, third answers the third question. And your grade will depend on how well your classmates do. Now, I want you to know that there were a lot of people in my class who were like, that's not fair. And there were a few of us who were like, that sounds great. <laughs> you know, it's going to improve my grade dramatically. But those who said that, that's not fair because all of a sudden my life depends on these other people in a real tangible way. And I want you to understand his point was that's precisely how it works in the church. You're coming to live out the faith isn't just for you. It is for the people around you. So I, I watch people among us who lose a job and live it out faithfully. And I say, okay, that helps me think about how to live my life. I, I watch some of you endure illness. And as I watch it, I think one of the reasons that you got sick wasn't just for you. It was for me. And I watch some of you go to praying first thing when you hear something. That's not just for you. That's for me. That God intended for us to, to link arms together and be so close that we start to learn how to live from each other. And, and here's the real hope you have that that works. Look at verse 30. It's talking about Epaphroditus, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus brought resources to me, and, and you could, if you were watching the movie, you would see him traveling across the countryside with his sacks full of money, and him getting sick, and his uh, complexion turning pale. You would see it all happening as Epaphroditus endured it. But Paul, as he looks on it, says, that was the work of Christ. What he accomplished wasn't just the work of the Philippian church, and it wasn't just the work of Epaphroditus, and it isn't the work of Paul, it is the work of Christ who's doing this. So Paul had this absolute conviction that the reason he could send Timothy and Epaphroditus and he himself could go and help the Philippian church and he could receive ministry from them was because God was at work in the whole thing. And the reason that you can learn from each other 
is because God's at work in your neighbor. Remember, he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. I want you to have a, a proper sense of awe at this. If you were to look around, you are seeing the craftsmanship of the divine creator. Sitting next to you are the people in whom God has said, this is where I will show my work to my people. I'm going to work it out in them. And he's at work in you. This is God's design. This is your hope. God is at work. Now, how do we, how do we put that into practice? Well, you could imagine this man who lived in relative poverty all his life. Would, would have a, a car that needed constant working and attention and you routinely would see him in town popping the hood, messing around underneath, trying to get the car just to start to get him home. And you're always thinking, man, I sure do hope one of these days he gets a new car. And then you learn that he's inherited just recently millions of dollars and you still see him driving that old you know, clunker around. And you want to go up to him and say, man, listen, I don't mean to be getting your business, but it's okay. You've got some resources now. Go get yourself you don't have to get a great car, I understand, but just get yourself a car, or, or for that matter, get this one fixed. If you really just love this one, you can afford it now. You have resources. And I want you to hear that God is at work in you so that you can minister to each other and receive ministry from this group. God is at work here. You have resources from heaven. And so if you feel like, I, I don't know if I'm up to this, just know Jesus is. He's up to this in you. He is up to this in this church. He is up to being able to minister to you the grace you need to walk with Jesus together. Let's pray. Father, we're, we are utterly dependent on you producing life in us. But since that's your commitment, we trust it. And so we pray you would help us look to each other, depend on each other, work this out together, that our theology might be on display in us for Christ's sake, and that you would be pleased by what you accomplish in your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.